One of the benefits of um, putting together the pulpit supply is I can kind of handpick the men I want to preach here. Um, and this has been kind of fun for me. Um, this morning, uh, we have Pastor Jack Hunt from our sister church in Clinton. I've known Jack for a long time. Uh, he's part of the Chesapeake District, so we've co-labored together. Uh, Jack is a dear brother, dear friend, and I'm really, really excited uh, Jack is here. Um, Jack is married to his beautiful wife, Heather. Heather, where are you? Okay, oh, she's shy. Um, they have five boys. You need to pray for them. They have five boys, but... Um, and I also want to thank uh, Jack's senior pastor, uh, Pastor Clark, to allow Jack to come. Sunday's a busy day for him, so uh, without further ado, uh, Pastor Jack, thank you, brother. Uh, come and share with us. Thanks, I appreciate it. Good morning. Uh, pray for my wife. She's outnumbered. Uh, we actually finally got her a cat and a female dog, so the numbers are a little bit closer to even. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Holy Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity today to be with your people and to look into your word. And we ask, Lord, today as we look into your word, that you will open our hearts and you open our minds and you'll help us to be changed by your word. And Lord, we ask that in everything that is said and done here today, that your name will be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Let me ask you a question as we get started. Have you ever had somebody do you wrong? <laughs> it's kind of a universal feeling, right? You, you've had somebody who, who has cheated you or stolen from you. As I look back over my life, what I've realized is I've been very blessed. There haven't been that many people, or maybe I have a bad memory, who, who have done me wrong to the point where I get really, really angry. Um, I can think of a couple people in my life who I feel like cheated me or, or stole from me, or I feel like if you want to get on my bad side, the way to get on my bad side is to lie to me. And you know what I found is I, I, there are some people in my life who I have, in retrospect, looked back and realized that person lied to me a lot. Or that person really hurt me. They did something to me that really, really ate me up inside. And you know what I found out about myself during those periods? I am really, really good at holding a grudge. All right? I, I'm really good. Uh, you know, I can let things stew for a long time. I can let things sit on me for a long time. I can get mad at someone, and I can stay mad at someone for a while. And I know some of you are looking here going, why are they letting this guy preach? <laughs> but others of you are maybe secretly in the back of your mind are thinking, you know what, yeah, I can relate to that. I, I want to ask you, who's that person that when I said, who's done you wrong, who's that person who popped into your mind? Because some of y'all, I saw you go from smiling to frowning really fast. Most of us have somebody in our life who has done us wrong. Maybe you're here and you have someone who, who they cheated you in a business deal. And every time their name comes up, it just ruins your day. Or maybe you're here and you have somebody who, um, you know, lied to you, misled you. And when you think about it, it makes you mad. Maybe you're here and you're a teenager and you have some friend who has been two-faced to you. And they've hurt you. Or maybe you're here today and you have someone in your life, maybe, maybe a spouse, who's broken their marriage covenant with you. And every time their name comes up, you get mad. Or every time their name comes up, your attitude changes. And I know you, some of you are already running ahead of me going, all right, Jack, you're not really going to talk to me about forgiving that person today, are you? 
And some of you are sitting here and you're probably thinking, you know, Jack, you don't understand. I have already forgiven this person. I forgave them over and over and over again. You know what? They keep coming back and doing it over again. And first off, let me say something to you. I am not today going to tell you that you have to forgive that person. Okay, far be it from me to tell you that. I want to make very clear real quick. I am in sales. I'm not in management. And so what I'm going to say to you is not what I have to say to you, but what the Word of God has to say to you on this topic today. And some of you are thinking about that person, and that person is flashing through your mind right now, and you're saying, I've already forgiven them. They've done it again. When is enough enough? Any of you ever been there? We're going to look at the scripture today, and the great thing is that's a natural question, right? That's something we all wrestle with. We all wrestle with, when can I stop forgiving and start being what I like to call righteously indignant? See, one of the things that I find about myself is when I hold a grudge against someone, I can actually convince myself I'm doing God's work by being mad. You know, if I let them off the hook, they're never going to learn their lesson. Okay? But you know, how much is enough? That's a natural question. Luckily for us, that's a question that's answered for us in the Scripture. It's a question that people have asked. And as a matter of fact, in the earthly ministry of Jesus, we have exactly that question being asked in Matthew chapter 18. And the person who's asking it is the Apostle Peter. I used to make fun of the Apostle Peter. I used to tell people, you know, I love Apostle Peter because he's kind of a blockhead. He always does things that are silly. He always says things people shouldn't say. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. You know, I realize now as I get older, the Apostle Peter is a human being. He's probably the most human person we see in the Scriptures. He shows us our own frailties and our own, our own failings. And honestly, I think when I get to heaven, I owe Peter an apology. And now I'm thankful that Peter's in the Scriptures because he... Ex- he brings to light so many things we need to know. So we're in Matthew 18. And to give you a little bit of background here, in Matthew 18, there's a process that's laid out as to how you're supposed to deal with your brother who sins against you. And we, talk, we, we often just call it the Matthew 18 process. And the process is really simple. If you have a brother who sinned against you, you go to them and you confront them with their sin. And say, listen, you've done this to me. I want you to repent so that we can have a relationship again. And if the brother says to you, no, I didn't do anything wrong, then what the, what the scripture says we're supposed to do is we're supposed to grab one or two other people and we're supposed to go and talk to them together. And by the way, it's interesting, in the passage it doesn't say we go to talk to them to gang up on them. What it actually says is we go to talk to them so that all the things that are said are established in front of two witnesses. So that everybody knows, everything's out on the table, everybody knows what's going on. And then if at that point they still don't want to repent and ask for forgiveness and, and move on, then we take them to the church. It says you're supposed to take them to the church, and the church leaders are supposed to come, and they're supposed to confront them and examine them. And if at that point they don't repent and say, you know what, I know I've sinned, and I want to make things right, at that point the church leaders are supposed to actually exercise discipline on them. And we're called to actually separate from them. And actually what the scripture says is treat them like an unbeliever. In other words, if they're going to act like an unbeliever, if the fruit of their life is going to be the fruit of an unbeliever, then at this point we start, to act, we start to treat them like that. And by the way, how do we treat unbelievers? We try to win them to Christ. Okay? But it says that if their fruit is not going to line up with being a believer, don't treat them like a believer. Right? So that's the whole passage in front of where we're going to be looking at today. Jesus lays out this idea of how we're supposed to deal with a brother who has sinned against us. And then we're going to pick up in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, And this is where Peter has a question. Listen, 
Well, let's read the passage, and then we'll talk about what Peter's question is. In verse 21, Peter says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I want you to notice what Peter does here. Peter, Peter comes to Jesus and says, all right, Jesus, Jesus, I, I got the process. I, got the, I understand what I'm supposed to do. I understand that if my brother sins, I'm supposed to go confront him. If he doesn't repent, I'm supposed to go back with somebody else, establish the idea, establish what's going on. And if, if he just doesn't repent. But what's interesting about that whole process that Jesus gives is everywhere throughout that process, Jesus is saying, if at any point your brother realizes he sinned against you and repents, you're supposed to do what? Forgive. And so Peter says, I understand this process whereby he repents, I forgive. He doesn't have any, his question, by the way, is not, how do I do it? What is Peter's question? How many times do I have to do it? What Peter wants to do here is he wants to put a limit on the number of times that he has to forgive his brothers. And he even gives a number. He says, how many times do I have to, uh, have to forgive him? As many as seven times? Okay. Peter, Peter puts a number on it. Here's my question. This is what's been rattling around in my head since I read this passage. Do you think there's somebody in Peter's life who's on strike six? <laughs> and Peter's like, I'm willing to give him one more try, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to move on without him. He says, as many as seven times. What's interesting is the number that he gives is a big number. As a matter of fact, in that, in that era, most of the rabbis were teaching that if your brother sins against you, you should forgive them three times. And Peter says, listen, I'll go one better than the Pharisees. I actually go two and a third times better than the Pharisees. I'll go seven times. And I think he wants to do two things. He wants to get on the, a pat on the back from Jesus, saying that's very good, that's very righteous of you, Peter. But he also wants to put a limit on forgiveness. And it was fascinating because Jesus' response, he comes back to Peter, and he says in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. That's a little bit bigger number, isn't it? And actually, if, you, if you're looking at a King James translation, a New King James translation, they have it translated a little bit differently. They have Jesus saying, I say to you not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, I'm not good at math. I tell people, I took pastoral math. Pastoral math is one, two, three, seven, the multitudes. That's all you need to know. <laughs> but I, I took a little bit of time to figure out this. And how many times is that? 490 times if we're talking 70 times 7. Whether it's 77 times or 490 times, Jesus, what Jesus is really saying is, Peter, you're trying to put a limit on forgiveness. And I'm telling you there is no limit on forgiveness. Jesus is laying out a very important principle for those who want to follow after him. The principle is this. For a follower of Jesus, forgiveness is not optional. Forgiveness is part of the standard package. I remember as a kid, we would go shopping. My, my father always bought new cars. And he bought new cars because then he could pick the options. And what my dad really wanted to do is he wanted to eliminate as many options as possible. As I was growing up, we never had a car with a factory radio. We never had a car with air conditioning because he wanted to cut down 
on the options in order to save money. Often we approach our faith that way. We say, you know what, a lot of this stuff is optional. We're just going to grab onto core things and we're going to ignore the options. And Jesus says, listen, I want you to understand, forgiveness is not optional for a follower of Jesus Christ. Now again, this is kind of a hard thing to understand, right? This is kind of a hard thing to get our heads around. I imagine, knowing Peter, Peter had questions. I know that I have questions. I look at this passage and wow, you're telling me that this guy can sin against me over and over again, and if he repents, I'm supposed to forgive him over and over and over again? But before Peter can, before Peter can ask his questions, the Lord says, let me tell you a story. And he goes in and he starts to tell a story in order to illustrate to us why forgiveness is not optional. And it begins in verse 23. It says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, the ma- the, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So Jesus illustrates, he, he gives this story, he tells about a man who, owns, who owes 10,000 talents to the king. Listen, let me give you a little bit of an understanding of how much money this is. If you had this, this debt in today's money, in order to pay off that debt, you'd have to be the number 15 guy on Forbes' richest men in the world list. Now, this is a huge debt. Now, we don't, we don't understand all the exchange rates, but I'll explain to you this. A denarii is one day's wages. A talent is 6,000 denarii. If you were to break down by day's wages for the first, for the first century laborer, the gentleman who owed 10,000 talents would have to work 160,000 years to pay off his debt. This is generational debt. And, and the king brings him in and says, you owe me 10,000 talents. And what's the man's response? Be patient with me. I'll pay you back. He's not paying that back. That debt's bigger than anything he could ever imagine. And the master says he has pity on him, forgives him, and then you would think, you would think, the servant will be lighthearted and happy. Could you imagine if someone came in and paid your mortgage? Wouldn't that make your day for the rest of your day? Until you stumble on the guy who owes you money, which is what this guy does. He stumbles out. He finds a guy who owes him 100 denarii, okay? Basically, you know, several months' wages. It's not a small amount, but compared to what he's just been forgiven, it's a small amount. And what's his reaction? He sees the man. It says he fell on him. He choked him. He grabbed him and choked him and said, give me my money. And God is illustrating this idea of forgiveness. Jesus is illustrating how much we've been forgiven and how much we need to forgive. But we have this very ugly picture of what it's like to not forgive. 
And Jesus is trying to use this to remind us of why it's so important for his people to forgive. Let's, let's look at the rest of the story. He says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I want to I help you see a couple things here. Oh, hit the wrong button. I shouldn't be trusted with these things. Um, as, we, as we look at the passage... Jesus lays out why it's so important that we understand that forgiveness is not optional for his people. And in the story, we see a couple things happen. First, I want you to notice, when he goes out and he chokes his fellow servant and demands his payment, who goes back and talks to the master? It says, the other servants saw it and were distressed. Says when his fellows saw it, they had, they had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. I want you to understand the first reason why forgiveness is not optional for followers of Jesus Christ is this. The world is watching us. People are watching us, and they're trying to figure out, do we really believe what we say we believe? Do we really serve the God that we say that we serve? Think about this. We're taking the gospel of forgiveness to the world. And so they're looking at us and saying, yeah, hey, you guys are telling us that there's this God who wants to forgive me and wants to have a relationship with me. But then I look in your life and I see how angry and how unforgiving you are. Any of you here watched the movie The Princess Bride? Yeah, worst movie ever, I'm sorry. How about I didn't offend anybody? Uh, no, there, there, there's, a, there's a scene in the movie where... Um, and the Carrie Yule's character is climbing a mountain, and Inigo Montoya, who's the swordman, says, you know, I, I, I promise you I won't harm you until you get to the top. And he says, I give you my word as a Spaniard. And the response to the Carrie Yule's character is, that won't work. I've met too many Spaniards. I want you to understand something. That's how the world looks at us sometimes. They say, let me tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not going to work. I've met too many Christians. You're telling me this God wants to forgive me, but I'm looking at you, and you're not very forgiving. See, the world is watching, and they're deciding whether or not what we are preaching is really true based on what they see in our lives. And so we need to understand that we can't represent a forgiving God if we won't be forgiving people. And our gospel will never have the power it's supposed to have if we won't live out the fruits of that gospel by forgiving those who sin against us, just as our Father has forgiven us. So the first reason is the world is watching. Our testimony is totally, intricately tied up in this idea of forgiving people who sin against us. Second reason is this, because we're forgiven. We forgive because we're forgiven. The master summons the man and says, the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on on you. See, Jesus says to us, you need to forgive mainly because you've been forgiven. It's incongruous for this man to have been forgiven 10,000 talents and hold a grudge over 100 
denarii. It doesn't make any sense. It's foreign. It's ugly. But I want you to understand something. You realize we've been forgiven much more than we've ever been asked to forgive? I know some of you are thinking, Jack, you don't, you don't know. This guy did me wrong. I know. And listen, far be it from me, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not belittling the hurt you feel. But I want you to understand that whatever's been done to you, worse has been done by you. Think about this. In order to redeem us from our sins, what did our father have to do? He had to send his son to die on a cross. Our sins cost Jesus Christ his life. And you know what's really crazy about that? Is God paid the ultimate price in order to redeem us, and yet sometimes we continue to live in our sin and show total disdain for the price that was paid for us. Whatever has been done to you, you have done worse to God. You say, well, you don't understand, Jack. I never committed adultery. Oh, yeah? Have you read the Gospels? Jesus says adultery is something that happens in your mind. You know, have you uh, read the Gospels where Jesus says that if you, if you hate your brother in your heart, you are guilty of murder? See, what we often do is we want to we minimize our sins and maximize the sins against us, but we have to understand that we've been forgiven of so much more. So forgiveness is not optional because we have been forgiven. So we have to understand that because of the price that's been paid for us, we have to, send, we have to extend that forgiveness as well. The other thing is this. We often, we often take the sin of our brother so personally. Well, oh, you don't understand. He hurt me so bad. I want you to realize something else. All sin is first and foremost against God. And so when, when your brother sins against you and hurts you, understand he also sinned against God and hurt God. And you know what God's response to his sin against him is? To extend forgiveness. To allow Christ to die on the cross to pay the debt of his sin. And so we need to forgive because we've been forgiven. Forgiveness is not optional because we are forgiven. And then the third thing we see here as we can move forward in the passage. In verses 34 and 35, it says, And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now listen, I want to get a little bit of theology in here. Okay, we understand from other passages that we don't lose our salvation because we, we mess up. This isn't talking about us being cast into hell, but God is trying to get, a, or Jesus is trying to get a point across to us about how seriously God takes our lack of forgiveness. And what he is telling us is you have to forgive. Forgiveness is not optional because if you don't forgive, it will destroy your life. First thing we see, the first, the first casualty, by the way, of lack of forgiveness is fellowship with our God and Father. Here's, here's the problem. We cannot, we cannot be in fellowship with a forgiving God with an unforgiving heart. Because our character and his character will be diametrically opposed. And so understand, if you're here today, and listen, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers at you. I, I've wrestled with it as well. If you have someone in your life that you're refusing to forgive, understand your relationship with God is not what it could be and what it should be as long as you harbor that bitterness and that resentment in your heart. And as long as you refuse to forgive. And some of you are already, you know, you're, you're thinking, you know what? I'll live with that. 
I don't want to let go of this anger. You know, I have one friend tells me, anger is what keeps me warm at night. Um, sometimes we can be very, um, very flippant about our relationship with God. And we'll say, you know, God will forgive me, so I'm, I'm not going to wrestle with it too much. I want you to understand, not only is your relationship with your God and Father damaged by bitterness, everything else in your life is damaged by anger and unforgiveness and bitterness. Unforgiveness is corrosive. You ever seen a piece of metal that's been left out in the elements, and over time a little bit of rust eats at it and starts to destroy it and break it down, and before too long you have nothing left? That's the kind of impact that anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness will have on our lives. If you refuse to forgive someone who has harmed you, that anger and bitterness is going to do a couple things to you. First thing it's going to do, it's going to, um, it's going to put you in jail. It's going to put you in prison. Here, here's the crazy thing. We often think that if we, if we forgive someone who sinned against us, we're letting them off the hook. But in reality, we're the only ones on the hook. We're the only ones who are having a hard time. Have you ever had somebody who you're so mad at that every time you see them, you want to leave the room? I've had people who I've been angry with and unforgiving towards, and when they walk in the room, I leave the room. You know what's bad? I was having a good time in that room. You know, I, I was in that room for a reason. I didn't want to leave the room. They drove me out of the room because not, they didn't drive me out of the room. My unforgiveness drove me out of the room. See, when we refuse to forgive, we put ourselves in a prison. We allow people to live rent-free in our minds when we refuse to forgive them of the sins that they've committed against us. But the other thing is this. That lack of forgiveness doesn't just destroy your relationship with God. It doesn't just destroy the relationship you have with this person who's harmed you. It actually destroys every other relationship you're involved in. Do you realize a lack of forgiveness towards one person will erode your relationship with other people? I've had uh, the opportunity to interact with people who have gone through painful divorces and who are unwilling to forgive their previous spouse, unwilling to let go of that anger. And you know what happens? They can't have a good relationship with anybody else as they move forward. That bitterness tends to, to eat at them to the point where they end up hating everybody. And so I want you to understand that when you have unforgiveness towards someone, it's going to impact your relationship with other people. It might impact your You might have unforgiveness towards one person, and it will ruin a relationship with somebody totally different. Let me tell you where this really shows up. If you have kids, and you harbor a heart of unforgiveness and bitterness towards one person, you can guarantee that will bubble down, that will bubble up and trickle down to your family. When you hold on and you refuse to forgive, your life gets destroyed. So I want, you, I want you to, if you don't take anything else away from this, I want you to take this away. For a follower of Jesus Christ, forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is not an option because the world is watching, because we've been forgiven, and also because unforgiveness is so destructive to us. So with all that said, what, what are we going to do with this? What do we need to do? What, what is our response I guess we don't have one. Okay. My screen went blank. So um, here, here's what I want you to think about. As we're talking about, so what should we do towards forgiveness? The first thing I want you to think about is this. I want you to thank God that you are forgiven. Praise God for his grace and his mercy to you. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, make today the day where you take advantage of his forgiveness. 
And the way that we do that is we, we admit that we're sinners. We acknowledge that we have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. We believe that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. And we confess our sins and we ask him to forgive us of our sins and come and to rule and reign in our life. If you've never done that today, I would encourage you to talk to Dennis or to one of the other people here on staff. They would love, I'm sure, to explain to you how you can be forgiven. But the first step for those of us who are believers is to thank God we are forgiven and then live out of that forgiveness. Second thing is this. We need to exercise our wills and we need to choose to forgive. Here's the problem with forgiving. You're never going to feel like doing it. You're never going to want to do it. Your flesh will battle against you. But we need to make a choice that we're going to forgive. And what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you, you know, some of you, like I said, you have somebody in your mind right now, and you're still, you're still running through the reasons why you don't want to forgive them. I want you to acknowledge who's hurt you. Maybe you might want to go home and you might want to make a list of who's hurt you and how they hurt you. And then I want you to make a choice to let that go. Okay? I would even encourage you to take that list. It's getting a little bit chilly. Maybe you have a fire at your house. Take that list and symbolically burn it. Put it before the Lord and say, God, I am letting go of my anger and my lack of forgiveness towards this person. And put a physical action to your spiritual decision. But here's the next thing. Pray that God will help you forgive. Because what's going to happen is, as you, as you choose to forgive... Satan will not want you to forgive. And you know, Satan's not going to want you to forgive because he wants to ruin your testimony. Satan's not going to want you to forgive too because he wants to ruin your life. So when you choose to forgive someone, what I want you to do is to pray that God will help you forgive because what's going to happen, I guarantee you from my personal experience, what's going to happen is I'm going to forgive that person today and tomorrow Satan's going to whisper in my ear and try to remind me of what they did and make me pick it up again. And when it comes, we need to pray again and say, Lord, help me to forgive. Help me to lay this down. Help me to do as my Savior has done for me. So we want to we thank God for forgiving, choose to forgive, and pray that God will help us forgive. But here's the thing. I want you to embrace this idea of forgiveness. As we close today, I don't want you to just say, you know, I'm going to go forgive because that's what I have to do. I want you to embrace it because I want you to think about something. What will happen when we really choose to forgive those who have harmed us. What's going to happen when you let go of that anger and that bitterness is this. You're going to feel the weight of the world lifted off your shoulders. That prison you've been locked in because you're, you're angry, you're going to be suddenly released from. You're going to see your other relationships get better because now you're no longer carrying around the baggage of unforgiveness from a previous relationship. You're going to see your testimony for Jesus Christ get stronger. As people will be able to look at you and say, you know what, you serve a forgiving God and you live a forgiving life. And you're going to see God's grace magnified in your life as he helps you to walk and to follow after our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you loved us. You provided a way for us to have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you'll help us to be a forgiving people so that we can well represent a forgiving God. Lord, I thank you that you have given us the opportunity to forgive in order to release us from bondage, in order to really, truly follow after you. And we ask, Lord, as we leave here today, that we'll leave with your gospel of forgiveness on our lips. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.